Hello and welcome to From Fear to Fire, secrets to overcome fear, embrace your gifts, and achieve success. This is the place where real people share real challenges, where you can find a common bond and uncommon wisdom through their journeys to help you move from fear to fire. We'd love for you to subscribe and, of course, share with a friend. We do appreciate that. I am Heather Hansen O'Neill, and I am your host. And, of course, we start each show with a quote of the day. So today's quote is by Lee Mitchell Hodges, and it is, Failure is often that early morning hour of darkness which precedes the dawning of the day of success. Today, we have a special guest for you. His name is Richard Hastings. He practices personal injury law in Ridgefield, Connecticut. He's an award-winning attorney, speaker, educator, and best-selling author, having written over 10 books. He's produced hundreds of videos, written hundreds of articles and blog posts. He hosts his own podcast, was a syndicated legal columnist, and has been interviewed by various major media outlets on a variety of topics. He is a self-help junkie and has met His Holiness, the 14th Dalai Lama, and I consider him a friend. I've known Richard for many years, and he constantly amazes me with his ability to to go beyond and and see things from a different perspective and just work very hard and get a lot of success from it. And I am very excited to have him on the show today. So welcome, Richard. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Heather. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to hear what you have to say today. So you've been practicing law for, what is it, over 35 years now, and you've reached a certain level of success, and you've got, you know, a lot of great clients, and and you enjoy a comfortable lifestyle, but I'm not sure, was it always that easy? I know those overnight success stories aren't always. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey and what lessons you may have learned along the way? Oh my gosh, so many lessons. But yes, I'd love to tell you about my journey. I grew up in Ridgefield, Connecticut, where I currently practice law. And after I graduated from law school, I came back to Ridgefield and I began working for another attorney in town. And after five years of practicing law, I ended up connecting with a former third grade friend of mine who I started a law practice with. And the first lesson I learned is that you really don't know what you don't know. So after five years, I thought I had enough experience under my belt where I could open my own office and become a wildly successful attorney. But you find out there are some roadblocks ahead of you. So first and foremost, I have a litigation practice. And that's where you have opposite sides that are looking to win at the expense of the other. So if you are an inexperienced lawyer, unlike many other businesses where you'll have people act as mentors and will show you the ropes and kind of walk you through the landmines, you're placed in a situation where your adversary is more than happy to take advantage of your inexperience. Mm -hmm. So there was a tough learning curve in, first of all, the practice of law. So that was the first thing that you had to deal with. And it created a lot of very stressful situations. On top of that, you really have no idea that you also have to run a business. And probably it's the case with most people. When you graduate from college or professional school, you take very few classes in running a business. So while I was in law school, they didn't give you one single course on how to develop a practice, how to you know, properly service and manage your clients. So again, you're, it's baptism by fire. 
So now I have this litigation practice where these other more experienced lawyers are looking to take advantage and exploit my inexperience. And then I have to go out and find clients and pay bills and get vendors and just juggle so many different things all at the same time. And it was overwhelming and the learning curve was incredible. And I, I've heard the statistic in the past that nine out of 10 new businesses will fail. And the odds were certainly against me. And I was just so incredibly fortunate and so incredibly happy that I was able to make my way through the, this morass of potential problems and end up where I am today. I, I think that you've really brought up a couple of good things here, and, and that is that you know, I, I have teenagers, so I keep thinking I, I wish that they taught more in high school and now one's in college about navigating business and life and even just, you know, the, the life skills that you need to go out there in the world. And I think they're starting to now. And I actually do some of that myself with universities. And I think it's so important. And I know that you do a lot of giving back too, but we'll get back to that later. But that, that element of, I can't believe in law school that they don't teach you how to set up a, a, you know, a practice and the actual business of it. That just astounds me. And I hope that's changing now as well. So that's an important one. But you know what I didn't ever think about is the adversarial nature of what you do and how that could come back and and really prevent some of the growth. But you've done it anyway. You've grown. You've, you've learned a lot. Now, that was you're talking about the beginning of setting up your practice. What about as you grew and expanded? What are some other lessons in building the law practice since you did a good job of starting it out so i am very much old school and i have some difficulty in dealing with the millennials because in my mind millennials are all about shortcuts they're all about you know enjoying life they're all about having fun they're all about you know ridding their lives of as much anxiety as possible so w one of the biggest things that I do in my my professional and personal life, and, and I could probably sum it up with this story that I heard years ago. And there was a king in a kingdom, and he gathered together all of his wise men. And he said he wanted to find out what was the secret of life. So he told his wise men that he wanted them to scour the countryside over the next year, and then come back and tell him what the secret of life was. So the wise men went out they spoke to everyone in the kingdom and they came back and they presented the king with one large volume containing the secrets of life. And the king looked at the book and he dismissed them. And he said, it's, it's too large, edit it down. They came back with a chapter and again, he dismissed them. They came back with a page. He looked at it and again, dismissed them. They came back and they had one paragraph and he looked at it and said, it's still too long. And finally they gave him one sentence. And the king read the sentence and he shook his head and he said, yes, this is indeed the secret of life. And the sentence said, there is no such thing as a free lunch. And to <laughs> me, that means whatever you want in life, you have to work hard for. No one is going to hand you a thing. And, and I'll tell you this great story. I had the pleasure a number of years ago of driving 
Bob Proctor from his hotel to an event that I was attending. So I had Bob Proctor in my car for about 10 minutes, and it was just the two of us. And I said to him, Bob, why don't you do what Tony Robbins does? I mean, he has commercials on every single minute of every single day at some point in the world or someplace in the world. And Bob Proctor looked at me and he said, and he smiled and he said, you know, Tony has a very simple message. Give me 30 days and I'll change your life. He said, the problem is on day 31, you'll be sitting on the couch, drinking a beer, watching reruns of Seinfeld. (laughs) He said, my message is not a message that people really want to hear. If you want to make more money, you have to work harder. You have to work smarter. You have to work longer hours. And he said, people don't want to hear that. People want to sit on the couch, take a pill and lose 10 pounds. People aren't interested in working hard. So I do this with my kids. I tell this to my coworkers. If you want to become successful, you have to work hard. And one of my favorite quotes is that people say, oh, you know, you're lucky at this or you're lucky at that. And, you know, luck or serendipity does have a place in all of this. But I find the harder I work, the luckier I get. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I do believe this and I am a, you know, I grew up with it and I am a very hardworking person. I, I will say though, that the element of being able to balance and recognize that, um, for me, you know, sometimes it's just the, the bringing it all together and, and considering the other perspective, right? So I've always worked two, three jobs. I've always worked really hard and worked really long, but the element of focusing and working hard in that one area that is your sweet zone, that is, you know, that brings you a sense of joy that you know is the right thing enables you to work hard, but work correctly. And so I just wanted to add that element to it because you, you do that, but you may do it naturally. For me, it wasn't always that easy. You know, I was working hard in too many different areas. Um, and so it wasn't effective. And so I think that honing in of being able to work hard and recognize how important that is, but do it in a focused, prioritized way. And I, and I know you do this. So, so what, do you, what do you think about that? Well, I really do think that is one of the secrets of success because, you know, when I tell my kids this, it is so easy to be successful in life because so many people look for the shortcut or they don't want to put in the hard work. And, you know, when they were young, we would be driving someplace at 3.30 on a Tuesday afternoon and the roads would be packed with people. And I would say to them, who is leaving their office at 3.30 in the afternoon to go home? I mean, a lot of these people, and you see this in business, where you know people come in late, people leave early, people are talking on the phone, taking personal calls, taking long lunches. You know, And one of my favorite stories was about GE, and I had the pleasure of listening to Jack Welsh give a talk a number of years ago. And the person interviewing him said to him, you know, Mr. Welsh, I have a question I want to ask you. And Jack Welsh said, I know exactly the question you're going to ask me. You're going to ask me about the, about the 20-70-10 rule. And he said, yes, could you explain that to us? He said, certainly. He said, you know, in GE every year, and Jack was known as probably the greatest manager of the last century when he led GE, he said, every year we have all of our employees rate 
everyone within their department. And people receive a rating in one of three categories. They're either in the top 20%, they're in the middle 70%, or they're in the bottom 10%. And he said, every year we do the same thing. We fire the bottom 10%. And people say to him, how can you do such a thing? And he said, the New York Yankees had, I think at the time was like 26 world championships. He said, I have a fiduciary duty to our shareholders to maximize their value. He said, there are people working at our company that would be very good at some company, it's just not ours. And they're the people that do come in late and they leave early and they take long lunches and they make personal calls and they complain about things. And there's really a toxicity to these people that is palpable when you're around them. So one of the biggest keys to success is having a good attitude, you know, be willing to just kind of pick yourself up by the bootstraps and get in and do the needed work that has to be done so you can move on to the next level. And, you know, there's another interesting principle in business. It's called the Peter Principle. And the Peter Principle says that everyone is promoted until they reach their level of incompetence. So what will happen is you'll do a good job and you'll get promoted. You'll do a good job and you'll get promoted. And when you can no longer do a good job, you won't be promoted again. So you've reached the level where you're now incompetent to move to the next level. So you see this in so many aspects of business and in so many aspects of life. You know, the people that just don't want to do the hard work aren't going to move forward. And that's why I tell my kids it's so easy to do the little things to move to the next level. And that, I think, is one of the ways that you can guarantee your success. To just do that little bit extra, right? I Yes, I, I agree with you. Um, when you go out into the world and you experience a, a little bit of that laissez-faire attitude, if you are really focused on your clients and, and listening to them and doing the right thing and going just a little bit above, you stand out head and shoulders above mm-hmm. in the comparison. I, yeah, I see where you're going with that. Now, you know, I this is part of the show from Fear to Fire is to ask for, you know, a way for you to connect with our listeners on a more personal level. So I'm going to ask you, what was the biggest fear or challenging time that you have experienced? And was there some particular lesson that you got out of it that you'd like to share with our listeners? Wow. And, you know, it's almost painful to think back upon that time because, you know, like we say, hindsight is twenty twenty, And looking back, you could tell that things were not going well. But as you're in the middle of it, things didn't seem all that bad. Hmm. But I had gotten to a point in my practice. I had a um, relatively young family and I hired one of these life coaches who had no business coaching experience, and her big thrust was, you know, life's too short. You really have to get out there and smell the roses. You really have to get out there and experience all the wonderful things that there are in life. So I thought to her, you know, I thought to myself, wow, this is, this is absolutely incredible. So I started to do fun things, more fun things, and started to leave work early and, you know, do more fun things than business things. And at the time, my office manager was my then wife. So whenever there was a need for some infusion of cash in my business during this time, she would say to me, you know, I need X number of dollars. 
And I had a line of credit. So I would just say to her, you know, take it from the line of credit. And then she would come to me and say, you know, I need money for the office. And I would say, you know, just take it from the line of credit. And this went on for some period of time until she came to me one time and said, you know, I need money for the office. And I said, take it from the line of credit. And she said to me, our $100,000 line of credit is maxed out. Now, you could have knocked me over with a feather at that point Mm. because I'm busy out there having fun, experiencing all these wonderful things in life. And it immediately dawned on me that my work-life balance was completely out of whack and that I wasn't tending to the things that needed to be tended to. And for that one moment, I had this kind of overwhelming sense of fear. And I think the greatest fear that most of us have is the fear of failure. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, it struck me that I was a failure. Financially, I was in dire straits. I had a young family that I had to support that I have completely and totally let down. And I was at a point where I had to absolutely pick myself up and and just jump back into the game and do anything and everything to rebuild my practice to get back to the point where I previously was. And and in the middle of, of all that, and, and you know, in the beginning of your show, you had mentioned, you know, the wee hours of the morning. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's when the demons come out for all of us. You know, you wake up at two o'clock in the morning and you're not thinking about what a wonderful lawyer you are and how you're helping <laughs> people. You know, you're thinking about you're a fraud and at any second in time, someone will discover the fact that you're really not that good or you're doing things that you have no business doing or that, you know, your whole world is going to be crashing down upon you. So I always thought, you know, if you want to invent something that will make billions of dollars, invent the the technique where when you wake up in the middle of the night, you can just say those three magic words and all of a sudden your whole world turns around and you're the best person and you believe that and you're out there helping people and you're just, you know, you're full of light. But unfortunately in the darkness, we tend to see some of the darkness. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel you. And um, I definitely go through those periods of time and between two and 4 a.m. That's my nemesis. <laughs> So what did you learn? How did you turn it around? How do you develop a healthy work-life balance? Because you, you can't be all work and miserable and you can't be all play because you're not going to make any money. and You'll feel like a failure in business. So where's the balance? What did you learn? Well, the balance is that sometimes you have to make sacrifices to put yourself in the position where you can start to balance your life. So if you have a fledgling business, and you don't have enough income to pay your expenses, I don't know that you have much of a balance at all in your life. So it's not like you're going on vacation or going to retreats or doing fun things because it's just not economically feasible. Mm -hmm. So what you really need to do is to build your business to the point where you're generating enough income where you can comfortably pay your bills and have some kind of a reserve. So for me, you know, and I think it stems from my growing up, I was the oldest of five boys and we grew up back in the day where, you know, the standard fare was, you know, capital punishment where you would be struck and, you know, that's how you reinforce bad behavior and what you shouldn't do and punishments. And 
And there wasn't a lot of positive reinforcement. So as a result of those experiences, which I wouldn't trade for anything in the world because they've helped me to become the man I am today, I decided very early on in my life that I wanted to be the best father that I could possibly be. Now, I could be the best lawyer that I that I could possibly be, but then I would have to take time away from parenting, for example, or family activities. And for me, it was always about being the best father that I could be. And I, I live and work in the same town that my children attended school in. So while they were growing up, I went to every one of their sports activities, their school activities. You know, on Fridays in the summertime, we lived uh, in a recreation area, you know, an association. I would take Friday afternoons off and go home and we would play tennis and go swimming. And for me, you know, that that's the perfect balance for me because you know, my family is so important and my children are everything to me. And, you know, as you know, you're only as happy as your most miserable child. So yes, I do know just, that. You, you want, you want the absolute best for them. And it's funny because I was talking earlier, earlier about the millennials and how they're all about having a good time and not having aggravation in their lives. And I think part of that comes from the parents and you know, I don't know that I was as hard on my kids as I should have been. You know, it's funny. I have two daughters and a son. My daughters growing up never raked the lawn, never cut the grass, you know, because it was just too difficult for me to have these conversations and listen to, you know, and, and have these arguments rather than just hiring somebody to do it. So I don't know that maybe there's some character building exercise that I didn't engage in enough with them, you know, when they were younger. But you know, I'm just so grateful to how they've turned out. And part of it has to do as you do with your children. I mean, it doesn't happen by accident. You know, there's a plan. And I remember when they were young, before they would go off to school and they would, you know, kind of poo-poo me in the beginning and not want to do it. But finally, they got into it. Every morning before they went off to school, we would scream at the top of our lungs, I feel happy. I feel healthy. I feel terrific. And I dare you to scream that at the top of your lungs and not feel like you're on cloud nine when you walk out the front door. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's awesome that you got them into that pattern early enough that they were willing to do it through the, the teen angst years. Right. And you know, That's we did other things. So every December, we would go to Starbucks in town and we would do a goal setting workshop. So I would be with three kids and we would set out our goals for the coming year, whether they were academic goals or social goals or volunteer goals or, you know, other goals that they had. And we would sit down and go over them. And as a result of that, I think it caused them to think outside of the box and to look at things in a very different way. And one of the best examples I have is that my middle daughter, Katie, was interested in going to veterinary school. So it's a very, very competitive school to get into. And it's the only school in the country where you're at a disadvantage to be a woman because most veterinarians are female. But in order to get into this program in her undergraduate college, we were talking about how she had to differentiate herself from everybody else. So she worked at a veterinary clinic in town for probably four years before she applied to college. And as a result of her training there, she ended up writing a book. 
and it was called Healthy, Health, Happy Pet, Healthy Pet, How to Care for Your New Best Friend. So as an 11th grader, she was a published author. And that differentiated her from every single person that applied to that program. And I just thought it was so clever that she did that. And it, it made me happy to see them thinking outside of the box and looking for alternative ways to do things that perhaps most people wouldn't think of. I love that. I think that's fantastic. And, I, and I'm aware of this goal setting that you did with your kids. And I, and I know your kids and they're phenomenal. They really, really are. Mine are in that I do um, every New Year's Eve, um, we do vision boards with my with my kids. And right. then, you know, through, throughout the year, there's, we have to keep coming back to wait, are we in alignment here? Are we following? Are we taking steps toward these things? It's not just a Oh, oh, one day you do the board and then that's it for the rest of the year, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and and what you've done for them is given them the tools to succeed. So so I'm here. I, I've got one who's 18, two that are 17, and I'm waiting to see you know how it, how it turns out because I can see yours. You've done an amazing job with them, and I, I you know I I know that that's not easy. I really, really do. And I think it's fantastic. So what advice would you have for the younger you? Wow, that is a, a great question. So I, I think, you know, what I would suggest to somebody, a, a younger me, would be that, you know, you don't have to beat yourself up so much. You don't have to be so hard on yourself. You don't have to be so critical of where you are and what you're doing. I mean, if you go out there and do your best every single day, then, you know, you'll learn from, from what you're doing. And I would tell my kids that, you know, I have what I consider to be a PhD in failure. I have tried so many different things and I have failed at so many different businesses and different opportunities. And, you know, as a result of that, I have learned the way not to do something. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, it helps me to grow and I can see other things as perhaps others would not. And one of the, the things that I would encourage other people to do is to take calculated risks and to take chances. And you know, you write about this and talk about this. And, and I think it's so true that every day you should try to do something that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. Because if we confine ourselves to doing things that make us feel comfortable, we're never going to grow. So I think for the younger me, I would say, don't be so hard on yourself and take more chances. I love that. And I, I do think you you know that I'm a big proponent of that, but it's not easy. I mean, people see making mistakes or failures as exactly that failures, but they're so not, as you know, that what that all of that you learn from it, as long as you look at it and say, what can I do differently? What what did I learn here? Um, how have I grown here? Then it's it's not a failure at all. It's what helps people become successful. It's the very thing that creates the success in your life. And I'm really glad that we had this conversation today because sometimes even though you know something and even though you 
you practice it and you share it with other people. There are moments in your life that you need to be reminded. And today I needed to be reminded of that, Richard. And I, and I really do appreciate that. So unbelievably, we are coming to a close. I'd like you to do a couple of things. I'd like you to share where people might be able to get a hold of you if they would like to reach you. I'd like you to share your greatest single accomplishment, which I think we got already from this, but I want you to verbalize it. And if there's any final words of wisdom. So first, share with people how they might be able to reach you. Uh, they can reach me. The easiest way is via email at rhastings, so R's and Richard Hastings, H-A-S-T-I-N-G-S, at my law firm website, which is H-C-W-L-A-W, Hastings Cohan Walsh, H-C-W-L-A-W.com. Great. Thank you very much. And so greatest single accomplishment is? Would be my children and where they are and how they're doing and the successes that they're enjoying and the fact that I don't get calls all the time asking to send them money. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I love it. And so to wrap it all up, what are your final parting words of wisdom for our listeners who are on their edge of the seats right now waiting to hear what do you think is the most important thing that you can share with them today? I would tell people, and it is like one of the laws of physics, the more you give, the more you will get back. It's called the cosmic mind force, and it may, might not come back to you in a linear fashion, but it comes back to you by going around the world. So I would say to you, you know, give freely of your time, of your energy, of your talents. If somebody with less experience asks you a question, Take a deep breath and stop and just remember the younger you and what you needed help with and how people were generous of their time and energy and talents and go out of your way. I think it's an obligation that we have, especially as we become more successful. So what I would tell people is give freely and then you'll get it back 100 fold. You're speaking my language, Richard. I love it. I absolutely love it. Everyone, this is Richard Hastings. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate that and your wisdom. Thank you, Heather. You, too. you have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.